and peace for all mankind to podcast about for all mankind. I'm Jason Snell, and with me as always, Dan Warren to talk about for all mankind season four, episode six, Leningrad. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. What are we doing again? Who are we? What are we talking about? Um, um vending machines. This is a podcast oh. about vending machines. It's podcast about vending machines. A little, little short on the vending machine action this week. Yeah, not as many, but I, I I'm satisfied. Fr- frankly, if there's no more vending machines in this season, yeah. I'm great. I'm great. Mm-hmm. They have pandered strongly to the vending machine market. <laughs> Soviet vending machine is so good. Uh, this is Leningrad. This is the big meetup where mm. um, we, all of our thoughts last time about like, oh no, oh no, oh no, Alita and Margot are going to meet. Collision course. And this is where it happens. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. yeah. A lot. There's a lot here. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Leningrad, by the way, also one of the fun things about this timeline being uh, still the Soviet Union, so it's not not St. Petersburg. Petersburg. It's still Leningrad. Uh, It's like playing an old game of Trivial Pursuit. All the facts are a little bit different. (laughs) Gotta watch out for the moops. Yeah, you do. You do. It's true. Um, And uh, Errol Flynn, I think, is in a lot of those questions. Errol Flynn. (laughs) So... um, the 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 big meetup of the M7 nations is happening in this episode so we get uh Margot watching from her little spider hole <laughs> eating eating her nuts yeah snacking snacking away watching the arrivals including the Helios arrival we can see it's Alita although i think she is necessarily sure um and then we also intercut to the people talking at which point what i wrote down i actually had to go back in my notes and write this down is that we're here? We're given uh, the 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 how 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 are you enjoying your stay so far? And we get what I have called Chekhov's hotel details, <laughs> because it's important that Alita point out. Oh, I don't have There's an ensuite. Essentially, hall. I have to go to the bathroom down the hall, which is a thing. Uh, yeah. Still in in some places, although not like it was. It used to be. Even more, like I went to London in 2000, and the place we stayed did not have an ensuite. And they were still like, ensuite was like a big thing where it was like, oh, this one has a bathroom in the room. And it was like a big deal. I um, remember when so, I yeah. picked my dorm room when I was living in Scotland, I picked one specifically because it had an ensuite because mm. I did not want to deal with that. Also, um, I believe famously um, a hotel in San Francisco that many people used to frequent when they're coming to oh, yes. various conferences, the Mosser, which I believe had still shared bathrooms. It's amazing. Uh, you know, I guess. Uh... Also, I, I enjoyed very much here the fact that there's kind of some, um, some jockeying going on, which is to say they've put up Hobson in a really nice hotel. Yes. Like he, he's like, Oh, my hotel is so amazing. And of course, if you like, I feel like other stuff I've seen, they show off sort of the grandiose mm-hmm. um, aspect. The Soviet Union even had at times, you know, like there was nice. an opulent side nice to be of in it. charge. Yeah. Right. And Alita, who is still kind of the de facto Helios like yeah. CEO. Well, yeah. Well, Dev is flying off to Mars is uh, put up in, <laughs> and it's kind of a ratty little hotel. Cause the, I think the, the Russians are not super enamored with them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so they have a their meeting, which is a fun scene. You know, it's international diplomacy sort of a thing and bureaucracy, and it's all out in the open. And and Eli uh, Hobson, our, Na- our NASA administrator, says it's going to be eight weeks to do a capture mission. And Alita says, 
it will require 2,500 vehicles with 11 new spacecraft designs, basically. And Margot, who's listening to all this and whispering into Arena's ear, says, it will be more than that. Yeah. <laughs> and the o- overall, the, the number comes out. To get Goldilocks and mine it around Mars and get that stuff back to Earth, it will cost $2 trillion. And that's one of those moments where there's, you know, murmur, murmur, you know, low whistle. <laughs> Everybody. Pin drop. And, yeah. And Alita says, but it's worth $20 trillion, maybe more. So it's really like you got to spend money to make money, people. But everybody's looking around like, but we don't want to spend that kind of money. It's, uh, you can't. $2 trillion, yeah. It is. And, and and again, Margot is just sort of doing the the whisper into Arena, which leads to some funny moments, uh, including when <laughs> she says, like, work the problem at one point where it's just like, mm, yeah. are you 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 have uh, some strange little little things there that <laughs> I like that she yeah. gets the things wrong. Right. She calls yeah. the asteroid system Bart. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're going to we're going to drive a Bart train into it, uh-huh. Jason. That's that, well, good. That could work. Good. I don't think Bart goes there, but, you know, maybe. Talk about you're overpriced and uh, it's going to take a long time to deliver it, but they could they could extend Bart out to Mars if they really wanted yeah, to. Come on, sure, yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She makes she makes those mistakes, which are also kind of fun, and they don't always call her on it, but because uh, later she says something that they don't call her on that is also not quite right. But I think that mm-hmm. that's the fun of it is that she's being fed all of this stuff, um, and also like uh, there's that moment of oh well, you know, it's not. They they have a they have a free flow of information. It's not some kind of police state. And and Arena says something sort of like to them, but also pointedly to Margo. And Margo's like, "Sorry, got it. Sorry, got it." <laughs> yeah, no, I enjoy that. There is a fun um, subtext going yeah. on through a lot of that conversation, including at one point where Margo says something about like us and the Americans, and Arena is like, "Yeah, I like it when you. I like it, you're thinking about it being us, right? Yeah. Like, um, so there's and there, as you said, there's a moment where. Uh, yeah, she says something like, your, your loyalties are misplaced. You don't work for NASA anymore, right. uh, which is to nominally to Aleda, but actually to Margo. To Margo. And, and Margo keeps, I like that Margo keeps talking, right? This is very Margo. Margo keeps talking to Arena, and Arena's like, would be like, slow down, stop talking. But she can't do that. She so can't, she's just she can't pull like, her uh... earpiece out because <laughs> the people would be like, what? You have an earpiece? So, yeah, it is... Um, it is this balance with Margot, right, where she works for Roscosmos, clearly. She's working for the Soviet Union. But she, she – so she knows that, but she's also sort of like her, – her advantage that she thinks like Margot, she thinks like NASA, um, her disadvantage is that there are those lines that she crosses where Arena filter, has to really. say – yeah. You know, yeah, we have different rules here, essentially. So she's playing. It's fascinating, right? Because Arena values that that she doesn't play by different rules. But there are limits. And taking shots at the Soviet system, that is probably, you know, because obviously this Korzhenko guy, uh, it's clear he's a make the Soviet Union great again kind of dude, mm-hmm. right? He's like, oh, Gorbachev with his soft reforms. We're going to go back to the hard days and all of that. So politically, like... Ixnay on the you know talk about police states that's not politically gonna fly so like know your limits Margot yeah. um, it's well, a we, nice and we have balance yeah we also have the big the big news here which is Hobson's idea 
That yes. What are we going to do? We can't. This asteroid's going to so, take forever. Like even if we spend two trillion dollars, it'll take years. Right. So they say right the problem. Deal with that. The problem is the return on investment. The payoff is probably forty years. Um, uh, and Margo's like, well, I said thirty-five, right? <laughs> Which is very. I laughed. I laughed at that. Where Margo is fact-checking the whole conversation in Arena's ear. That's hilarious. Uh, we have a unique chance here. Goldilocks is going to Mars, and there's that moment which is like, well, what if we brought it? to earth and immediately it's like oh you know in five years you, you get payback and margo and Alita are on the same way like the because the issue is not would you spend two trillion to get 20 trillion of course you would the issue is we can't spend two trillion now and hope to get 20 trillion back in 20 years or 30 years right. Or yeah. forty years, like you can't convince governments to make an a long term investment. Essentially, investment, is what's going yeah. on here. Because yeah, yeah. How many term? How many presidential terms is that? Exactly. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. Ten presidents later, eight eight presidents later, we'll finally do it. So so Margo and Alita already on the same wavelength, which is going to lead us to our next uh, portion of this story. I do, I do have to ask yes? my question, which is this: is my bracketed like little asides here is like. <laughs> Jason, there's no way that asteroid isn't going to hit Earth, right? Like they're going to miss, and it's going to hit Earth somehow, or something like that. I'm so there's this deep impact now. I'm a little worried, knowing the 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 history of for all mankind and their ability to come up with really big disasters. I'm a little worried that I, asteroid's going to miss Earth. Slightly. I do wonder. I, I my thought was like, what if it hits the moon or something? Ooh. Right, that's real bad that, too. That that was what I thought, but but certainly like a risk of the asteroid going wrong seems like uh, it's probably in our future because how could it not be? Um, For all mankind, this Dart. Is what we do. So Dart is the mission, a real mission that was used to deflect a- asteroids, and they have this whole comment. This is where the police state comment comes in, right? Did you steal that idea too? And this is where she says we must work the problem. And uh, there's a moment where they're like, "All right, let's get down to business," and Arena's <laughs> like, "Nope." I'm hungry. Well, it's uh, lunchtime. Yeah, and, and Margo's frustrated, but like Arena's like, I cannot do this by remote control. This is not how we're gonna gonna do this. And so Arena, uh, in the next scene, goes to Margo and says, "Okay, you need to work with Alita." And this is the moment which is like, or no, no, it's the other way around. Well, Margo says, around. "I need Margo to work says, with Alita," and Arena's like, "What? Why?" And she's like, "I know her. She's an engineer. She's gonna be mad, but we're she's obsessively digging into these problems. It's in our nature." Um, and she says it's gonna so th- so there's that which is and we know like she had a panic attack when Margot's name was mentioned right yeah. like so what is gonna happen here and then uh, Arena uh, shifts gears and says if if you out yourself to her then everyone's gonna know they think you're dead yeah. now so they're gonna call you a spy or a traitor traitor yeah. and and she says. I don't want to hide anymore. I can't do it. My hands are tied behind my back. I need to do this. I already know. I I should be in charge. And that's a great moment, right? Because Arena's like, ah, you, you want, want power, power again. Yeah. Aha. And and, and Margot's response is like, it's the work. I want to do the work. And I think, yeah, cause like, uh, I think she's right. I, I don't think yeah. I don't think Margot yeah. is all interested in power, except in the fact that it allows her to do the Get stuff she done. wants to do. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Like they they've done such a great job with that character. Mm-hmm. Ren Schmidt has done a great job with that character yeah. too of being just so consistent in terms of who they are. Um and I really appreciate that like, you know, when Arena says that to her because that's how Arena understands the world, right? She's a KGB uh, agent and she wanted to be in charge of Roscosmos and now she is. Yeah. Um and so she gets that's that's her 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 mindset of how the world works. 
but it's not for us to you know having seen Margot for three and a half seasons we understand that she's she's never wanted power for the sake of power no or the trappings like power. that nice hotel yeah. room right oh right so she, she sleeps in her, office. in her office <laughs> yeah like it's i mean all of it is just she wants the ability to be in the most sort of effective place possible and even with that i think she struggled a lot last season with you know being the director right because in some ways she wanted to be doing getting her hands dirty. She yeah, wanted to be like, yeah. In, yeah, exactly. She didn't want to be doing paperwork or administrative stuff or polit- politics or whatever. And so that is 100% consistent with who we know this character to be is that she is inter- interested in it for the sake of, hey, I want to get I want to get this done and I want to get it done right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it is right. It's and it's not that she doesn't want power cuz the power affords her opportunities that are good, but it's not the trappings. It's not the the power for power's sake. Or I don't need to be involved in doing the work anymore. Now that I have the power, I can direct others to do the work. It's like that's not what she wants. I I gotta say, I kind of identify with Margot because uh, just professionally, I feel the same way a little bit. Which is like I ended up being what was my final title? Some executive vice president or what? I don't even know what it was. It was like. I really just wanted to do the work, honestly. Never, that was I, I that wanted, lets them take you off the bridge of that starship. Yeah, I know, if, there you go. Yeah, classic reference there. So, um, so here we are at that moment that we I think feel like we knew was coming for four or five episodes now. Which, although the way it's done, because of again Chekhov's uh, uh, hotel accommodations, <laughs> uh, Margot knocks on Alita's door and it's open. <gasps> dun, 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 and there's nobody in there, and she's looking at the documents and she's like, "What?" And then Alita walks in with a towel around her head because, and this is the moment where I wrote, I wrote down and said out loud, <gasps> "Bathroom down the hall." Yeah, oh, <laughs> and and That's who is reason. this in the room? And she's like, "What?" And Margot says, "I can explain." And then I would say, interesting choice that I love in this episode is what does she do? She comes over to Margot and hugs her and is incredibly happy that she's not dead, that her mentor isn't dead because she thought she was dead and she's not dead. And the, all the fallout will come, but it's not going to come yet. The initial response, and I think it's a beautiful thing, right, is joy that her friend, her mentor, is alive. Yeah, that's some strong work from Coral Pena, I think, in this scene. A- the just the look mm. that she gives her like because first she sees her from behind and she's like you know what are you what are you Who doing are you? in my room or whatever and the the utter shock that she manages to portray in that moment where she recognizes her is excellent she's a great work and then the you know the emotional response then to realizing margot is still alive i thought it's a great scene um, amazingly played, but as you point out, with this, you know, very uncomfortable undertone, right? Because we know it's the mm. calm before the storm. <laughs> well, so. it's it's the so what I like about it, right? Because there's so many. I'm I'm sure they had a long discussion about how to play this scene. It is a it is a tricky mm-hmm. scene uh, because there is so much in it, and and we don't, it, you know, Dan. It's not one of those things where it's like you know, it's one of those scenes that we see all the time where somebody you thought was dead, but they actually got spirited away by the Soviet Union and they bet they're a defector. We've all, we've all been there. Yeah. Right. So I, the choice that they made here, I really like it. I really like the fact that Alita's immediate reaction is joy that her, her friend and mentor is not dead and all the rest of it comes later. And so in the next scene, we get that. And I think that's the right sequence. And I think that it's, you know, she could have reacted like 
angry and off-putting and all of that. And I think it says something fundamental about Alita and about her relationship with Margot, and it, and which then probably informs how the rest of this relationship is going to go, is that it fundamentally she she loved Margot and was sad that she died. And her initial response is not about, did you betray us or whatever? It's literally, I'm so glad you're not dead, right? right. That is yeah. the number one thing. Um, so in the next scene, though, Margot gives the details of her defection. And I love this, too, because Alita is tough, right? She's not like, she could be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I understand, Margot. Yes, very supportive. And she is not, in a, in a way no. that is not, I'd say, super combative, but she's not going to give away anything. And the moment that I really love is Margot is like, well, you know, they were closing in on me, so what could I do? And, and Alita's like, you could have told the truth and dealt with yeah. the consequences. And she's like, yeah, but they would have taken me in prison for doing the right thing. And she's like, the right thing? You so you you shared secrets with the Soviet Union, right? Like, it's I, I just I think it's really good that she doesn't let give Margot a pass. I'm like, oh yes, I understand you had to flee or you would have gone to jail. It's like, well, no, tell the truth and and yeah. face justice. That's what the right thing to do is here, not to run and hide, which is what you did. She's so right about that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I enjoy that moment of, you know, Aleda making her case and essentially saying, like, come on, you, you could have done something else, right? You had a choice and and I think she, like you said, she's totally right about that. It's, it's, you know, she she really nails her to the wall with all the the story she tells. Right, Alita tells her story of being in the building when the bomb goes off, and you know, naming people who died and pointing out that uh, Bill, who we saw, Bill Strasser, is basically paralyzed. Yes. Um, yeah, she says he was lucky; he only had his pelvis shattered and spinal cord spine, severed. Yeah. So vis- and then, so visceral. We all st- you walked away. She, that's such a great. You walked away. We all stayed at our posts. And then right? she says, like, five people killed instantly. Fourteen later, she remembers it all. Fourteen later that day, twelve more elsewhere in the complex. A hundred and ninety-five people total. Right, and she starts, you know, point out. You know, we hear Molly gets named, etc. Yeah, and of course, you know, like. Margot and Molly were, if not close, they had their, you know, <laughs> they had their differences, but they were colleagues right. and like had known each other for a long time so uh, and so yeah. it's it's very damning uh, i think in that moment and she is elena is totally right that she should have should have come clean so, so my favorite thing in this whole episode maybe is right after that moment alita says i went to your office mm-hmm. and there was nothing but open air because the side of the building had come down i thought for a minute i thought i was in heaven because all i could see were clouds And I prayed that you were in heaven, too, because she thinks Margo was in the office and that and that was it. And then and this is the this is my this is my favorite moment. It's this exchange, because what Alita says is, I saw them picking up Emma's body. She died right there at her desk. And if you've watched For All Mankind for four seasons, Margo's secretary She's in episode one, right? Yeah. Emma, the secretary who has to deal with Margot's crap, is in the show throughout and hasn't really been dealt with until this moment, I think, where Alita is like, I saw her body because, of course, she died. They, they, They were at her desk where she's faithfully always serving Margot. She died right there. And then Margot's response is, for what it's worth, I wish I'd been there. So, which 
you know, I'm going to, is she telling, you tell me, is she telling the truth or not? Because I read that as being, she's trying to express essentially, I wish I had died. Which, does she mean that? Does she mean she wish she had died instead of gone to the Soviet Union? I don't know, but that's what she tells Alita. I think that's really interesting. And that's like, I was like, hmm, what, does she mean it? And I, I just, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think part of her does, honestly. Yeah. Like, I it think the there is an her life anyway, truth. right? This is yeah, all like exactly. a weird epilogue. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and having seen her existence prior to this moment where she kind of gets to come out of the shadows... It, it wasn't much, right? You know, yeah. we saw her routine of getting up and watching TV and buying her paper and her pastry or whatever, yep. and that was basically it. Yeah. And wait for her know, two, every two weeks meeting at Roscosmos that was probably yeah, the where they don't, don't really want to talk to her. No. Um, you know, I think there's something there with the idea that, like, she is, in some ways, it would have been easier. Like, as much as she didn't want to die, I think it would have been easier for her in some ways to be like, hey, at least I wouldn't have had to deal with this, right? I wouldn't have had to deal with everything that came after it. And it would have been a, perhaps a fitting end, right? For me, the person who sleeps in my office to die at my desk doing yeah, my job. Right. Uh, and then honestly, and nobody would have known about her betrayal, right? Because it all would have basically died with her. Would have been irrelevant, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think there is definitely a part Instead of, of lived a traitor. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's definitely a part of Margot that 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 thinks that that would have been would have been better. And she she kind of alleges this in the next bit where she says, you know, <laughs> impressing Alita to work on solving this problem. She tells her like, you know, I know all about regret. Uh, right. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to disagree with that. And maybe if she'd got like given the chance to make that decision a second time, maybe she would do something differently. But you don't get a chance to make that decision a second no. time. No. Um, yeah, so she, Alita pushes back now. She's like, you think you're going to work with me on this thing? And Margo's like, it's going to change the world. She's doing her sales pitch. I'm not doing this. You know, you think you, you think you know me. And Margo, you know, Margo's kind of cold right here. She's like, you will solve this. But by the time you do, it'll mm-hmm. be too late. And the asteroid, because the asteroid's a ticking clock, right? They got to get it before it, as it goes by. Otherwise, otherwise they can't use it. And And it's the, you know... Do you want to keep selling sugar water all your life? Yeah, right. She's like, you can change the course of human history. And they start talking. So it's like whatever defenses Alita was putting up, um, they are they are down and they're working on it. And I think what is a, what is a funny uh, and good choice. I love the time jumps in this. I love that this show has to cover so much ground that they are not going to um, waste time. That the next time we see this part of the storyline, it's literally everybody knows Margot is there. We don't see any of that. Like everybody's reacting. The news is reacting to the fact that Margot is alive and in the Soviet Union. She reads from a prepared statement by her <laughs> keepers about how she loves the glorious Soviet Union and was betrayed oh, you know, because NASA is no good and whatever else. She's put in charge of Goldilocks for the Soviet Union. Alita turns off the TV and is like, ugh. But the, the point of this is all they solved the problem. They're going to get Goldilocks to Earth. They figured it out. And... Um, and as we get to the end of this section, and we'll double back for what's happening on Mars, I wanted to say to you, Dan, what is an asteroid but a giant vending machine in the sky? <laughs> I, 
I mean, it is full of delicious iridium. Oh uh, yeah, right. Uh, it's so it you got is, that going for you. So there you go. It's a astro- Just think of an <laughs> asteroid. It's a it's a rocky vending machine. Yeah, it, it, you know, it may not bring you exactly what you want, but um, yeah, but it'll bring you what you need. It's a magic it's asteroid. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, Mick Jagger's famous sentiment. Well, there's there's stuff that happens on Mars too, which we should talk about. But for the emotional heart of this episode and the thing, like, I feel like we've been grinding toward for for six episodes now is this moment with with Margot and Alita. And it's just I thought it was dynamite. So it's yeah. So, and then on we go, right? And then they have to work together, which is going to be wild. But what a moment! Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. On Mars, Ed. Ah. <laughs> uh, hey, Ed, Ed, this is, is a uh, board. This is a this is a moment of I kind of I kind of love this episode's Ed because this oh. is did you did you have Ed Baldwin pegged as strike instigator? Well, uh, okay, your, so on your bingo card, so no, because it's totally <laughs> counter to his whole. He's a super conservative white guy from the sixties, yep. right? But, yep. but. But obviously what he so. So, OK, when we first see him, he is at loose ends. Right. He is looking at video messages, smoking pot, drinking, uh, you know, reading the sand pebbles, walking around. Everybody's looking at him. They know that he's been sort of like removed of all duties. He goes to the speakeasy and everybody's like, oh, shh, <laughs> you know, Red is here. And he just I sits love that. down. It, it answers like, a question Answers a question from a few weeks ago, I think I posed, which is, do they yes. know about Ilya's bar? And of course they of, do. Of course. Of course. And it's like, it's an, it's an acceptable thing. So so Ed is at completely at loose ends, right? He has been grounded and he is no longer the XO. So he has nothing to do. He is completely just, just no grounding at all. Um, he knows that Kelly and his grandson are coming, but like, he, you know. He's not going to tell her what's going on there, but obviously when she gets there, she's going to realize that he's kind of fallen apart. I mean, she probably knows, right? They, they've told it's her. It's probably but like in the he's, news. Too, he's not, right? yeah, but he's yeah. not talking about it. So, yeah. but then this is this is the key moment that happens is so Palmer, who turned in Ed, who seems like a perfectly reasonable guy, but he's just a guy doing his job. Uh, he's the new XO, and um, uh, oh, there's a great scene where he he. Um, I'm going to use the initials here so I don't have to check the box and say that we're using bad words, although the show does. I'll just say that he says JFC and and uh, Danielle gives him a look. So he says HFS instead, yeah. So, uh, which made me laugh. But, but what happens is Ed – so Ed, Ed complains about the still because he's an expert at the still. The workers are talking about maybe they should do a union I, and work I like all AFL, his bits. He, he reuses the – same joke to when he talks about the still and then talks about the black market about like i've seen one of these on every cruiser carrier yeah, moon yeah. base space station you know he reuses his same yeah his same his bit same spiel yeah yeah, yeah black, carriers cruisers on the moon whatever uh but he's got expert which which also is funny right because it's it's ed ed is not a boy scout like they're like yeah. oh no ed is here and it's like ed can give Ilya tips on his still right like because it, it it's cinnamon mouse ass right um it's a telltale sign he is an expert at at these rigging a still up so you can drink in space right so it's not that's also really really kind of funny um and i'm going to jump over some stuff with miles that we'll get to in a second but i, I think the key scene here is ed is waking up in the afternoon 
from a bad hangover from drinking at Ilya's and Palmer is knocking on his door and he's like, what? I have nothing to do. I'm a sad, depressed man who has nothing to do. And Palmer's like, well, no, technically you are still the senior project manager for Helios. You are the ranking Helios person here. Um, So sign this thing that revises, that screws the workers, basically, that revises their contract. And Ed, Ed is like, I'll take it under advisement and closes the door. And That's, this is the I, key. That made me laugh. This is, oh, hard. it's so good. But this is the key moment, right? Because I, I feel like this is where Ed realizes, oh, there is something I can do, which is make life hard for, yeah, Danielle, for Danielle and Palmer and Helios and everybody, because I do have some degree of power, which is they need me to sign things and I can be the... I, I can gum up the works. I can because he's listened see. to them organizing down in the in the speakeasy, yeah, and he's like, exactly. "I can make this trouble is, for Danielle, who I'm very Ed, angry at." Ed Baldwin, narcissist, yeah, you know, totally self involved, is just really wants to be the center of attention. Honestly, like I think that's what it comes down to. In this, is like he has. It doesn't really feel like he has a dog in that fight, right? Like that he has a he is does not have an agenda. Like at least what it seems here is like I just want to stir the pot, right? Yeah, that's all I want to do, and I kind of I kind of enjoy that because it is extremely petty, but also yeah. again kind of consi- like, completely we, consistent. We recently watched as our member special, in case you didn't catch that, the first episode from the first season. Yeah. And in the first episode of the first season, Ed gets in trouble for talking to the press yeah. and saying stuff that he shouldn't say. And he gets like kind of kicked to the side of the curb there. And this is, again, this is where we are 40 years later, but yeah. Ed is still doing that. I also. He's petulant. Myself, he's entitled. He's like, I mean, who, all of those who, things. Yeah. Who in their right mind makes Ed the project? I know he's the ranking member, but like. Well, I think that's like you get the you get the feeling that he'd never really worried about the paperwork prior no, to this. No, right? no, he had like people he just do it. Rubber or, stamped or, everything, or had people do it, or whatever. Exactly, but but he realizes now that that's not a, a, a that's not a power they've taken away from him yet. And also, I I think he he has benefited from being the senior guy and being Ed Baldwin at at, at long points. And it so he's just like, oh well, yeah, I just accumulated all this stuff over time by being me. Um, even if it was not something that he was trying to talk about power, like, and Margot, I think Ed, Ed has also accumulated power, um, and is also a self-centered, uh, individual who, uh, doesn't really care about the power other than that it allows him to do whatever he wants, which is really, I mean, on one level, that is what power is for, is to do whatever you want, but it's not necessarily to enrich himself. It's just like, he just wants to do what he wants and do it the way he wants it, and that's all. So so what ends up happening is they're organizing a union. Ed shows up with that clipboard and says, I'm going to stir the pot, and, uh, stir the pot, and then he, he makes a shake and not stirred James Bond reference, and there are there <laughs> is com- there's complete silence. I'd say there were crickets, <laughs> but there are no crickets on Mars, so it's just <laughs> silence. It's just I do love that moment where Ed feels like, oh, they're going to be eaten out of the palm yeah. of my hand. I I know pleaser. how to work this situation. I am a yeah, I'm a showman. These I kids can do this. on Mars no, are going to love it. Misjudged it entirely. Bond joke from 2003. Um, yeah. So uh, he has the details. So he says, here's what's going on. Helios is screwing with your bonuses. Uh, and they they point out that the, and this is going back to episode one where we talked about the in episode two I guess with the idea that you're at a, a company 
plant with company script and the whole idea that they they have these contracts, but the contracts can be altered at the company's discretion. And if you complain about it, they take it to an arbitrator that is chosen by the company. And this is based on real stuff like oil workers deal with this stuff, especially, but other other people where it's they're 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 kind of indentured in a way. Right. And yeah. and so Ed agrees with that and and says yes they're screwing with you and he says and people are like i don't know sam you're coming on really hard she's because she's saying we got to organize and edge like yeah listen to sam do it uh and like or what I'm like, or we shut this place down they they we have the leverage which he's not wrong about right no like, right. how like, are they gonna get anything done like why Nothing. are you this is that that earth versus mars thing which is like what are you going to do on earth? You could replace us and throw us back out, but we're right. on Mars. Yeah. You need us. We have the leverage here. And I'll, I'll come back to this, you know, I'm sure in future episodes, but I just wanted to say it here. A figure has been bandied about two figures. There's, mm. there's a, uh, a $20 trillion payout and there's a $2 trillion investment. Those are figures in this episode, right? Mm -hmm. I think it is really interesting and telling that here on Mars, Helios wants to pay the workers less. Less, yeah. $2 trillion are going to be spent by the governments of the world, and they don't want to pay the workers even the lousy wages they're already paying them. And I think... I just I love that moment because it's like they are, it is so outrageous that this is happening. Of course they should strike. Of course, yeah, a hundred percent. And I love that they talk about some of the things like oh the point system right where they earn bonuses and they're like jacking up how many points you need and cutting oh, yeah. how much you get when you get those points. Right. And like people point out like they can change the contract whenever they want at any time, <laughs> at any time. And, you know, like this is, you know, they really are, they're over a barrel, like from a paperwork perspective. But as you say, from a real nuts and bolts practicality, like perspective, if they organize and like, you know, there's interesting too, because this is obviously, you know, even though this season was written a while back, the like situation with labor, organized labor in this country uh, currently is undergoing a bit of a moment where yeah. it's, um, you know, having been dis the unions having been downplayed for a long time for many decades are now starting to have some power again. So I, it's an interesting angle to bring to, you know, we've been seeing this upstairs, downstairs conflict all season with the astronauts versus the workers. Yeah. And it did feel like this was always simmering there, right? Right below the surface is, well, what happens when those workers decide that maybe they don't want to work for peanuts and maybe they do have some leverage here? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and you know, Ed uh, theoretically is in management, but you know, he doesn't care. Right. I, because he's I, I enjoy that too. Because franchise, right. He, re he really should not be part of this discussion no. at all as a management. <laughs> no, but he just is mad and lashing out at everybody and anybody at, you know, Palmer is representing Helios and Danielle is representing NASA and, He's just decided he's going to make trouble, right? Because he's unhappy. Yeah. He's lashing out. He's is it whole, is it childish? Yes. Is he is he yeah. right? I think yes, but he's not doing it's it because it's stop, right. Stop clock situation, yeah. right? This is Ed exactly. being Ed, and he's decided to temporarily align himself with right. something that might be a a worthy cause, but not because he necessarily believes in its right. worthiness. Which brings us to our last thread, which is Miles. Um, what Miles? What a set of scenes. <laughs> 
Miles because, of course, he went against Ilya and sold his rocks, his Mars rocks for money so that his wife could buy a house, is cut off from the black market loading dock. He's told it's closed to you and all your rocks. All of Ilya's business is closed. Now, this is by a Russian thug. I forget his name, but it's Petros. Petros, yes. Um, He says, don't F with Ilya's business. Don't come here again. Now, in the moment when I watched this, I thought, okay, I get that in the last scene of the last episode, you and I even talked about it. Like, Ilya is clearly furious at Miles. I will say, Ilya, I guess, is kind of a conflict avoider. Because he talks a, lo- a good game about, I think the point is that even though Ilya sort of gets what it's like to be a, back, a black market kingpin, um, what do they say about, I mean, criminals are still criminals. They're not necessarily the best. That's why they're criminals. I think this is a good example of that where I think it's bad business for Ilya to just cut Miles off, not tell him and have his thug tell him to beat it. Ilya probably should have had that conversation with him, right? Like, this is just, he's really putting it to him. But I guess, you know, I don't know, Russian black marketers, they, they're they not known for their subtlety. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this is classic, well, let's bring in the muscle because, you know, if you don't if you don't want to do things my way, we'll just break your kneecaps. Yeah, right. right. Like, but, but instead I, of having that, uh, I just wonder, and I know that the way this goes, the show doesn't want this to be the way. But as an analysis of it as a human being, I look at it and I think, Ilya... If you had talked to Miles and said, okay, Miles, you betrayed me. You're you're cut off. Maybe we'll revisit this down the road, but you're cut off. Don't come there again and have his thug be standing there and, and showing him the door. Then it would not be a surprise. It would not be in front of a bunch of other people. And it would have been like, you did this. This is on you. We talked about this. I'm not going to lie. Maybe Miles would react the same way, but I feel like there's a question of like, you made this really abrupt and bad. And what immediately happens is Miles goes to Lee and says, he has no intention of bringing your wife up here. He's stringing you along. He's a fraud. And I can't do anything about it now. I've been I've been trying. I've been in your corner. Sure, whatever, yeah, Miles. That, that, that is a great moment. I mean, like, because mm-hmm. here's, this is the knife's edge moment of sympathy or not for Miles, right? Because I think he does make the case to Ilya when Ilya's like, we're not going to do this, bring up Lee's wife. It's too much trouble. And Miles is like, but you told him you would, right? Like, that's... I think there is a degree of Miles that does feel like, yes, it's the right thing to do yes. because we promised him. Yes. But also in this moment, he is manipulating Lee 100%, yeah. My, right? Well, Miles oh, knows it's help. wrong. I'm trying to help. I think I could do it. I think I could do it if I yeah. could only get to the, yeah. Right. Miles knows it's wrong, uh, which is good, but he doesn't do anything about it. Ilya says no, yeah. and he's like, all right, and, all right. Then, yeah. and then we'll just move on. But he also knows that it's his leverage now with Lee, and it's the it's the thing that... Again, I would say, um, Ilya. If Ilya was better at his job, (laughs) he would realize that Miles. He would need to slow play Miles or play Miles a little differently, knowing that Miles knows this one explosive fact. Um, But he doesn't. He just cuts him off cold, and immediately that's Miles's next move. Is I'm going to make the North Koreans really mad at you. Yeah. So this is an interesting moment too, because I have a question for you about this point. Mm. is do you think, and we'll get to the the result resolution of this plot line in a moment, but do you think this is the moment, or do you think this is true at all, that Miles becomes a villain? Oh, because part of me definitely has that moment of like, oh, 
this is the moment yeah. where you make a choice and you throw, you know, not even just throw this guy to the wolves, but like, as we'll see in a second. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the 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 moment that it's clear that Miles yes. is a villain is the next scene, but this is where it happens, right? Yes. This is the moment where Miles says, okay, Miles has a choice here. He can go back to his drudgery job. Um, and he doesn't want to. Uh, in part because he's really liking the fact that his his wife, who he was separated from, is now talking like when he gets home, he they will get back together get in back this together. house that he's yeah. built, right? Like all his whole life is in front of him because of the money for the from those rocks, right? That Ilya wouldn't yeah. let him do it. So he he decides here, I'm not going to go back to the drudgery. I'm instead going to flip it the other way, which is I am going to take out Ilya, or yeah, right? I'm going to take yep. him out. And in the next scene, our Russian thug friend is bloodied, broken arm. Because the Koreans in that in that scene, after he talks to Lee, the Koreans come for the Russian thug. And then cut to Russian thug is bloodied, broken arm, bru- um, bruised stuff, collapsed lung. Uh, uh, he says, "Oh, the hydraulic the lift, lift malfunctioned." Right? That's the I love, that's the story. I, love I just fell bit. down on Mars because <laughs> we all know. But like you know, uh, yeah, but it is. I, I have this. I have to report this, it. The doctor has to report it yeah, if it's violence. Exactly. It's like, no, no, no. And it was just I, an I industrial accident. It, I love it gets brought up in the parallel in the union meeting where they're talking about accidents happening. Yeah. And Sam is like, look at Petros. He, yeah. he got hit by that hydraulic lift. And I'm like, yeah. well, you're not mm. wrong, but also you're mm. kind of wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so so here we go. You got uh, hit by it, a hydraulic lift called North Korea. Yeah. In comes, in comes Ilya. Uh, and and he's like Milosh, his little pet name for Miles, um, and the, the Koreans confront him, and he's like, "Oh, you betrayed, betrayed." And this is where Miles says, "You put a man, you know, who <laughs> on my throat. You lied to me." Um, and he's like, "Oh, you can still be a part of oh, whatever." And he's like, "Keep your voice down." He gives him a command, and then he very coldly says, "I know how much you love this place, the Speakeasy. You can come by anytime." That is a boy, what a great line and a great delivery wow. uh there. It is stone cold. Oh stone cold. Oh uh, I still I think Miles was, is yeah. a big dork and this is gonna go horribly wrong, but what oh, yeah. a moment that is, right? Which is his twisting the knife there. He's like, I, I'm gonna I'm a big I'm the big man now, but I'll tell you what, I'm not gonna ban you from your own speakeasy. You can come by here anytime. Just for you, I'll do you that little favor, little guy. Now get out of my sight, right? Like that boy, is but s- so dangerous too because you have that moment now where now Miles has basically you know lines have been drawn war has been well yeah you got the Russians on one side presumably and the North Koreans on the other side in this and that's where it starts to get risky too because like at some point part of me is like well Miles what happens when you don't have the North Koreans like (laughs) you're going to be in a lot of trouble at that point Uh, and I think it's coming Uh, yeah I don't think you can count on them put it this way their loyalties are very specific these are very interesting moves Miles is making but I think I still stand by my previous thought which is that Miles not very bright and uh, he's going to get he's in over his head yeah he's in over his head but he does that is a great scene at the end because I think he does he's he is so cold he is so cold in that scene And and it is really kind of chilling to watch him like this guy who we've been sympathetic to, I think. Right. Reveal that like, nah, he's just a villain. 
Yeah, I think I, I was actually thinking back to the first episode and thinking like, there's a way to introduce Miles, and they they didn't want to do it. They wanted to cloak this completely. It was like I I see I could see how this storyline plays out the same way, but with something where it's like Miles is down on his luck because he did some time or something, but he's mm-hmm. trying to turn his life around. And this is and the moment where he's like, in. "Nope, yeah. I'm not going to do that." But that's not it at all. Like the the, the show wants it to really be that. That no, Miles is just, you pushed him. In fact, it's a good parallel to what's going on with the unionization. Because the idea here is that he was guaranteed, you know, all of these bonuses for the asteroid or or whatever. And then it all kind of fell apart in that accident in episode one. And uh, that has put him on edge. Like the reason he signed up to to go to Mars is taken away from him the moment he reaches Mars. And so... He is also feeling like he's uh, on the knife's edge, and as a result, he starts making. Are they bad? I I can't even judge it to say they're bad decisions. He's making decisions that benefit him, um, but sure. I do think maybe short sighted. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, yeah, I it's think hard in the long run, unwise, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, exactly, else. exactly. But it, it is it is very interesting, and yes, I did not have Miles down as being one of the villains miles and ed as being maybe the villains of this story mm-hmm. or is it mm-hmm. ed a hero now or is he a villain i don't know i don't know either it's pretty wild it's... good job episode six good job yeah i thought this would this this episode did an excellent job of taking what you thought you thought was going to happen and being a bit Ooh. of a left turn yeah absolutely so good good stuff what will happen next? Well, I don't know. That's that's for next week to tell us, isn't it? Oh yeah, with the 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 wild card, of course, to the union thing. As I found myself thinking, is uh, you know who's notably absent this week? Uh, don't see a, a higher hair of Devayasa uh, on no. his way to Mars. On his way to where Mars, his, whereas people are all striking. Are because all striking. This is the fundamental thing. Is like they're talking about Helios, but like. Who's in charge of Helios? Yeah. Right, like Alita's <laughs> off doing her Leningrad thing, and like Dev's on in on a spaceship on his way to Mars. Right. And it's like you can't really negotiate with management on a spaceship. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm sure they've got their head of human resources. That's my, my uncle used to be the union negotiator for a mm, a big mm. company, and that and you know he was the head of HR, and that was his job to do that. So I'm I'm sure they've got somebody like that there. But you're right, um, and that I, I love that they seeded with that comment a couple weeks ago where they were talking about the unions and Helios and all that. And somebody's like, hey, Dev's back in charge. And they're like, screw that guy. He's a billionaire. He's part of the problem. And I'm like, right, yeah. I like that because it's like Dev is not going to walk in there and, and be welcomed. He's going to be, people are going to be mad, right? So people that's are great. Mad. That's great. It's true. I love it. All right. Uh, we'll be back next week with more because they keep releasing For All Mankind. So we'll keep on talking about them. Episode seven is next. But uh, for now, uh, we, have, we have reached the end of our time in Leningrad, comrades, uh, and on Mars. So uh, until next week, I've been Jason Snell. He's been Dan Morin. Bye, Dan. That's for Danya. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>